This episode is sponsored by Vision Trust. Vision Trust is an organization that provides essential support in the areas of health, education, and spiritual development to children and adolescents living in poverty around the world. Vision Trust is brimming with female role models who are investing in the next generation of women. Their love is defiant. It stands strong against all odds, and yours can too. Join us in raising up confident young women that embrace their God-given talents to create a better future for us all. Learn more at visiontrust.org forward. Welcome back to Work, Love, Pray, Real Talk, Grounded in Truth. I'm Jordan Johnstone. In our last episode, you met Dr. Shannon Crawford, licensed psychologist, CEO of Crawford Clinics, and host of the podcast, Unlock You. So far in our discussion on setting boundaries, we've covered how setting boundaries can help you stop saying yes when you should be learning to say no to more things. And we walked through the first two steps Dr. Crawford suggested anyone takes when setting up boundaries in their life. In this episode, Dr. Crawford and I work our way through the last two steps or areas in the boundary setting process. And we also talk about working through the possible fear of missing out feelings that you may battle when you start flexing your new say no muscles. Join Dr. Crawford and me as we pick up our conversation. In the last episode, we talked about the first two steps that someone should take to set up boundaries in their life that will actually work and stick and will also honor the path that God has them on. Mm -hmm. If you have not listened to the last episode yet, I would actually highly suggest you pause here and go back and listen and then come back. There are two more steps or areas to address when you're setting up boundaries, and these are definitely heavier than the first two. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about saying no to good so that you're ready to say yes to great. Do you have a personal example of when you said no to good, not really knowing that great thing that you were getting ready to say yes to? You didn't even know what that was yet. Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So one of my passions in life is getting to be an adjunct professor. It was on my dream binder, uh, dream board. I've, I've really wanted to be an adjunct professor. I don't want to do it full time. I want to do it part-time. I really love teaching and educating and helping future therapists be amazing. So I got my dream opportunity. I taught at the King's University in South Lake, Texas. Shout out. I love it so much. Um, and I got to teach there for maybe six and a half years. And then I felt like the Lord was like, okay, you now need to go into Sabbath, take a break, a sabbatical. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. And so he's so sneaky, right? That I was like, okay, I'll take a sabbatical. And he's like, and I may go back at some time, but it was almost like, no, you're actually stepping down. But he didn't actually tell me for what purpose. Like, what am I letting go of this great thing that I really love? And it's on my dream binder, thank you, (laughs) to now go toward what? And so as embarrassing as it is, I went on a prayer walk with the Lord after my last night teaching. And I'm like, Lord, this is a really big loss. Like, I love this position. It's a sense of community. It's a tribe. I mean, women listening right now, there may be something in your heart that you resonate that you're like, this is something I've wanted. And you're asking me to lay it down like this does not make sense to me. And so along those lines, of course, he does not come in a burning bush and tell me, here, Shannon, here's the thing. It's just trust me. Oh, Lord. And so I choose to trust him after my tears and kind of process and all of that. And then it started to just come gradually. But over time, a lot more speaking engagement, a lot more podcasts, a lot more teaching at a larger scale started to open up. And I realized how much, as much as I loved teaching, and I hope to do it again someday potentially, but it really did take a ton of bandwidth. And that one area I was touching about, you know, 25 people a semester and what he was preparing of, you know, he said, whatever is fruitful, he'll prune. So if you're listening right now and there's something in your life that you're like, are you sure God? Like, I I don't think this, I'm hearing you. I think this is pizza. I think that this is, you know, some weird something that's not God's voice because this is what I love. I'm good at this. This is my lane, but he may ask you to pull aside 
and allow a pruning to pull things back. It doesn't mean it's a sin. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. But by saying no to something now, you have more capacity and bandwidth to be fruitful, even more fruitful. And so I started to realize the amount of opportunities that started to just come to me. I've never advertised as a speaker or podcaster or anything. I just kind of show up where you uh, leads. And before I know it, these opportunities are coming that now I have the bandwidth to touch hundreds and thousands of people, to travel, to speak, to be a part of something so much larger that as much as I love the 25 students, now the reach is so much further and I have more capacity to be more fruitful because of that note. So if you're listening right now and you're really wrestling, I know it's hard. I know that God usually does not uh, coddle our flesh. He doesn't just tell us in the moment, here's how it's magically all going to work out. He just says, will you trust me? And I love in Hebrews where he says he will keep his promises. Over and over, he promises that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So if there's something that's being pruned right now, you have free will. You can hang on to it. You can white knuckle and stay in that, or you can surrender. And you can just put everything on the altar and say, Lord, I love this, 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 and this. Is this still the season for that to be a priority in my life? Or like Isaac and Abraham laying down Isaac, are you asking me to lay this down? One, to check my heart. Do I have any idols, wrong motives, selfish ambition, anything that you just need to clean out? You know, many times we start like Saul, the king in Israel, we start with really humility and we're broken and we're asking God for help and we start out really good. But over time, we stop being so spiritually hungry and we accidentally start picking up presumption and pride and self-reliance and people pleasing and all of these things that the Lord said, I'll literally resist the proud, but I'll give grace to the humble. And I don't see myself as a prideful person. But the Lord repeatedly shows me little areas of pride that have been like little weeds starting to sprout up. And I'll notice it because there's an area where it feels like my life has resistance. I love Jesus. He loves me. But he will not honor an area of pride and self-reliance in our life. So he'll allow resistance. He'll allow things not to work out in an area so that you ask him questions in relationship. He's not mad. He's not, you know, uh, trying to punish you. He's just trying to draw you into conversation to say, hey, Lord, you know, the budget's been really a lot of resistance here. Uh, there's one couple recently that uh, we were working with in our clinic and their finances were just like phenomenal. And then all of a sudden uh, last year it dropped and they're like close to being evicted out of their home. Like they're not going to make it financially. And so the wife went into prayer and said, okay, Lord, I know that we have an earning capacity way beyond. And yet it feels like there's resistance. We're tithing. We're being generous. We're doing the spiritual principles we know to do, but there's something not working. And the Lord started to show her that they had picked up mammon on accident. Good people love Jesus. But just this little chink in the armor, these little weeds that start to choke out the good seeds of faith. And so the Lord will allow areas of resistance. He'll allow areas of pruning. And then we see the dross. We see the weeds, the things that are growing in our heart outside of our awareness. And now as the great gardener, he can come in and say, hey, can I have that? If you release this, if you say no to this now, will you trust me that I'll give it back to you a hundredfold? And I love how Jesus told the disciples that if you're willing to leave mother and father and home and all of that to follow me, I'll give you so much more in this life and in the life to come. And how many times we live on autopilot, we're doing the right thing, we go to church, we tithe, we do our quiet time, but we're not actually saying, God, search my heart. Is this really even about the job? about the move, about the person that I'm dating? Or is this actually about you trying to get my attention so that I'll open places of my heart and have real conversation where you can prune and you can garden and tend to some areas? Um, even right now, I'm thinking of many of us have grief. We've gone through 2020, a major pandemic. And the world has kind of turned upside down. And yet we've been on autopilot just surviving for so long that we've seen it in our uh, clinic, both in the coaching side, for executive coaching and for therapy, that now is the time that people's mental health is actually getting far worse 
because there's a shock denial that we've been kind of on autopilot and we had the economy bolstered through, you know, uh, incentives from the government and all of these. But now we're actually starting to feel what we've been going through. So many times we also have grief. If you're listening right now and you're like, why do I have a hard time saying no? Maybe you're trying to avoid grief. Maybe you're trying to stay so busy because your inner world is like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be silent. I don't want to be quiet. I can, you know, checkbox list off of my Bible study devotional, but I don't want to actually be still because I don't want to feel. And there's so many disappointments we go through. There's losses, there's grief, there's pain. And so sometimes our boundaries are also, it's instilling a sense of importance and it's insulating me from being present with myself. So if that's you and you're just kind of experiencing some of this in your inner world, I want you to know that you're normal. I want you to know that there is no shame and there's no condemnation, that today is a great day to just budget in time for your heart, that you matter, that you may have a thousand important responsibilities, but God will never take advantage of you and use you like a workhorse. If you draw back, just like Jesus, I mean, he's the son of God and he has three and a half years to share the message and you know mentor these 12 guys, which will end up being 11, share the gospel for thousands of years. And yet he would pull aside for time for his heart. Because if you think about it, it's not like he had a, a Torah sitting with him on the mountainside. It's not like he had his little journal and um, Beth Moore devotional. He was sitting there in intimacy with his father so that our heart can be tended to. And many times boundaries can be an external pressure to perform, but it could also be an internal pressure to avoid and not feel. When the Lord is saying, hey, I love you more than you can hope, dream, or imagine, more than you can fathom. And I just want to pull you close and tell you I saw that divorce. I saw that bankruptcy. I saw that um, unfair treatment at work. I saw your adolescent treat you in a dishonoring way. I saw it and I care. And I want to be in relationship and do life with you. And that's when your system comes back online. And that's when we can really set good and clear boundaries because it's like, like I'm not making the decision from the unconscious anymore. I'm now making the decision of what does my heart truly want to do? And that helps guide my yes as well as my no. Is it dangerous to maybe second guess saying no to something? Oh, gosh, I think so. Um, so regret is one of those things that it's a monster that you can never quiet. Because regret, whether you made the right decision or the wrong decision, is not the point. You're now actually creating a mistrust toward yourself and a mistrust toward God and others. And so what you're doing is tethering yourself to the past, putting that situation with a period at the end. Instead of a dot, dot, dot. I mean, Jonah ran from the Lord <laughs> and then the Lord draws him back to go minister to Nineveh. But even when he made really the wrong choice, you know, like you, you move across the country and you work in this job or this industry and you're like, oh, that was not, that was not the right thing. There's always a dot, dot, dot. There's always a continuation of the story. And so I love that in, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. When I'm unfaithful, he'll show himself even more faithful. The enemy gloats when we look back in regret. Because what you're doing is you're now cycling as if you are so big and omniscient and all-powerful, all-knowing that you should have known. And because you didn't, there is a period, regret, a mark against your life. You made a bad decision, period. Instead of being a child of God that, of course, is going to make wrong decisions here and there and say, hey, Lord, what's your dream? How do you want to redeem this? I was uh, probably still, but recovering from so much perfectionism. Anybody relate? <laughs> this, this, it's tyranny. Perfectionism is literally tyranny. And so I would say, oh, my gosh, Lord, I, I, I regret that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, you know, don't worry. I won't do that again. And he'd be like, oh my gosh, like, you're not that big and powerful. <laughs> like, I can redeem all things. 
Even Gomer having affairs in Hosea pursues her and wins her back and buys her back from her false lovers. God's giving an illustration that even when, not if, <laughs> when you and I make the wrong decision, when I make the wrong decision, he is in the upgrade. I don't know why I'm getting so emotional, but he is so good and he will redeem all things. The enemy stops the story. He's like pausing the movie at the worst point and he points at it and condemns you and goes, oh, you, sh you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have married that person. You shouldn't have taken that job. You shouldn't have taken that buyout. You shouldn't have made that merger. Oh, you shouldn't have done, said that to your kid. And it's like frozen at that worst moment of humiliation because it keeps you tied to the past and keeps you from advancing into the future. But when we say, hey, God, here's my mess. And he would show me a picture of him, our messes, the things we think are so egregious, and some of them are, but so big and massive to God. It's like him wiping chocolate off a face of a child. You are righteous. You belong. You are wanted in your worst moment, right in the middle of an affair, right in the middle of cheating, stealing, lying, taking the wrong job, marrying the wrong person, whatever. He loves you. He is bigger than your worst mistake. You do not have to live in regret. What you do is you play the movie forward. If you're listening to this right now and you're in the middle of regret and you're like, I'm still kind of walking this out going, oh dang, what did I just do? Did I literally just make that choice? I don't even recognize myself. How could I have done that? Go back to past situations in your life, in scripture, because a lot of people in the Bible also made really bad choices. I mean, Abraham twice told the king that different kings that his wife was a sister he was going to let his wife be taken by other kings and have sex with them like that is not the best husband moment of the year and yet the lord still used abraham to have isaac and isaac become the father of all of israel his chosen children. rahab prostitute and god's like i'm going to choose you to be in the lineage of jesus there is no one, there is nothing you can do that is beyond the extravagant pursuit of God's love for you. So you tell the enemy every time you get in regret, you go, no, God, you love me. My story's not finished. I look back at past faithfulness and I choose to repent. And now I choose to get back up thanking you that the cross is enough, that my worst mistake, you can turn together, work it together. It may not be good. I may have genuinely done the wrong thing, but that's why we have an extravagant gift. And it's good news that Jesus died on the cross because now I can approach the throne of grace boldly. You can approach the throne of grace boldly. Get out of your head. Stop ruminating. Stop staying awake thinking about how you regret what you did. And instead, start praising God that he's going to turn it for good despite you. <laughs> you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But he loves you. He is for you. He will help reposition, replatform you. He will do it on your behalf just to show you how faithful he is. But if I'm the God of the story and it depends on me, all I do is regret and look back and ruminate. But when you get a hold of God's extravagant love, you can't help but praise. And praise puts your vision forward and helps you get back up and make the next right choice to go toward the direction that does lead to life. Versus regret that puts you in the past and actually sets you on a trajectory of death and striving. And so I'm encouraging you where regret has tried to kill, steal, and destroy that you get up and you start praising and thanking God that he is still writing your story. Um, I had a, a lot of years that I purposely sinned and like really bad, like years that I willfully disobeyed and made bad choices and it hurt my life. And I felt like I was way off in left field and it was like you know, way past God ever using me, you know, and work ministry relationships. Like I am so disqualified. If, if you're listening right now and you've ever felt disqualified, like your choices are so bad, I get you. I get you. But then the Lord showed me that he has a timeline and he's outside of time and where I had wasted and squandered time on the right side, just falling away, doing my own thing. The moment I repent, it's like he's realigning you and I back to the trajectory that he has for our lives. That there is a timeline of heaven and he in supernatural timing 
can put you back in the right time, in the right relationships. He'll redeem and he'll put you in the positions where you can have the greatest influence for good. And now we are at the final section of our boundaries talk. And this is the idea of using your boundaries to steward your time effectively. So why is this such an important final step? Because the tyranny of the urgent is always there. Somebody will always need you. Another email will always pop up. And I work with a lot of executives that they go on vacation, they try to get away, and yet they take their phone and their laptop and they just think, well, I'll just get a little work done. The hard thing is if we allow those little bitty rocks to fill up our tank, right? Like, so the analogy is you have a jar and you have big rocks and you have little rocks. If we don't put the big rocks first, then all the little rocks will fill it up and you don't have room for the big rocks. So for many, uh, especially if you have a meaningful romantic relationship and or kids, usually work will start to kind of fill your mind so much because our internal boundaries aren't just um, what you're not doing. It's also what you're allowing your mind to think about constantly. So the ruminating of like, oh, what should I be doing about that? You know, the budgets or how should I handle that employee issue? Or we still need to pick our marketing or, you know, insurance or whatever. And so that mental chatter, you may be with your family. You may be on vacation. You may be doing the right thing in your quiet time. And yet that kind of rumination is constantly going. That is still those little rocks intruding on the big rocks. And what you need is to start margining going, okay, Lord, help me genuinely visualize handing this over to you. This situation is bigger than I can handle. So one illustration he gave me, you know, I was a small startup at that point, you know, solopreneur, very beginning stage of my business. And there was a million things, if any entrepreneurs are listening, and that you're like, I have to decide this and this and this and this and this. And I was coming out of like being an employee, being in grad school forever, being an intern. And so now I'm first time entrepreneur. And my life is just so ruled by the tyranny of the urgent. And so finally, this one day, I was like, I am in decision fatigue. I can't make another decision. I am trying to spend time with the Lord. I'm trying to do all the right things, but I am exhausted and depleted. And so in my imagination, I didn't think it was going to actually do anything. It was more like a, I surrender. Like, God, here's my to-do list. I don't know what to do. Apparently I need like payroll and I have to do taxes. And even though it's an S corp and I'm the only employee, apparently I have to set all these things up. I don't know how to do that. And I don't know who to ask. And I definitely can't afford someone fancy to help me do that at this point in my business. And so I handed in my to-do list in my mind and I'm having my quiet time and my phone rings. I kid you not. And I had been with a certain bank for many years and they called and I answered, which normally if I don't know the number, I'm not going to answer in a world of spam. Right. And so I answered and it was like, hi, this is Brittany from bank of blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? She's like, I'm your personal banker. We've been looking at your account and we want to assign you a personal banker who can help connect you with ADP, who can help connect you with this insurance company and this tax payment and um, accountant and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I'm in the middle of my quiet time and Brittany from my bank, my bank has never talked to me a day in my life. I'm not like a schmoozer personality that anyone knows who I am. But when I hand God my list and not now always, he is not that, you know, remarkable, but I think he was trying to get my attention. I was in a season of decision fatigue. I had all this internal chatter. I couldn't truly rest or be present anywhere because internally I was allowing all the little rocks that felt huge to take over the space of truly letting the big rocks fill in. And it's happened over and over where I feel like I need to make a decision, especially in business, but also in family. And if I'll step back and go, hey, God, what's your strategy for this? What's your heart or your vision? Nine times out of 10, he doesn't talk to me first about strategy. He talks to me about my heart or the heart of the other person or the situation that totally softens and changes the paradigm. 
it takes the stress and the urgency of feeling like there's a right and wrong. And instead he'll show me, hey, this is heaven's perspective of this. Would you like to partner with me in that? There's one couple that they're going through an affair right now. So he has been having an affair and she just found out and we're working with. And right now they're in the season of like, how do we still go to jobs, take care of kids, run the house? And yet our emotions are just chaotic. And if anyone has ever been significantly betrayed, you know that your mind just does not turn off. Like it's just like this hamster wheel ruminating constantly on. And so for both of them right now, the recovery process is so slow and hard. And she wants to just say, I'm out of this. God, get me out of this. I don't deserve this. This is the excuse I get to have to you know, divorce him. And whether she does or does not, it's not the point. Rather, she's learning to go to the Lord and he's like, hey, can I show you your heart and his in this situation? Very rarely does the Lord say, do this, don't do this. Normally, he's always after our heart. The motivation of the heart. And he's been showing her a different side of her husband, a different side of her in that marriage that was hard to look at. And so now in the softness, now she can go, oh my gosh, I didn't see that blind spot in me. It doesn't justify what he's done by any means. But now she has a softer heart, a more uh, repentant rather than prideful. And now the Lord's showing them how to both be kind of in a process together and not make major decisions, but just kind of walk things through. The same I've seen with executives who are deciding about major business mergers or whom to hire. And the Lord will show character and go, oh, I don't know that I want to be yoked to that. The Bible says not to be equally yoked. We think that in marriage, but it's also a wise principle in business. He'll often not tell you what to do. He'll show you the why behind it. But we can't hear that why if we don't get the mental chatter out. So boundaries are not just the what you say yes to and no on the outside of you. It's also stopping the tyranny of the urgent inside. Placing good, healthy boundaries over your thought life and taking every thought captive to the submission obedience of Christ and saying, does this draw me closer to Christ and to loving others? Or just trying to make a decision so I have the illusion of control, so I get to mark it off the checklist, and I don't feel like I'm drowning anymore. If that's the motivation, you will likely not make the right choice. But if you step back and you really posture your heart going, hey, God, this betrayal in business, this disappointment, this setback in the economy, this whole department in my corporation that's underperforming, whatever it might be. God, what's your heart? What's your vision? What does redemption look like? How do I lead this team member that is underperforming? And I know they're capable of more, but they're just not showing up in the way I know they could. There's one CEO I was working with, and she noticed that one of her best performers, she promoted the young lady, She started to underperform. She started to drink with other employees at work. She started to uh, use the company credit card in inappropriate ways. And she was just like, this is not the person I hired. Like she used to be my best performer. What has happened? So we were talking about it as a, a coaching situation. And I said, well, have you ever considered what God's heart for that person is? And she's like, well, I don't really care. (laughs) I'm mad. This is wrong. And I'm like, fair. But maybe there's another perspective. Have you ever considered, did that person feel prepared? Did you do appropriate onboarding for the level of stress and capacity and the new role demands of this position? Have you asked them if they feel supported in this role or not? And they're like, so wait. And reported back that the employee was super stressed and anxious, feeling super under-supported, put in a position that they didn't feel prepared for. And so that's why they were almost sabotaging themselves, right? Doing things that are foolish and crazy, but also hanging out with the employees at an inappropriate level. Like they were now above those, uh, that pay grade of client or of, um, employees. And so you could see the unconscious effort to say, I don't feel prepared. I don't want to be at this level. 
I want to be back here. I want to be where I'm comfortable and I'm safe. And they felt very under supported by the leadership that threw them into a, a new role that was totally outside of their scope. They were good at what they did before, but once you put them, you know, little fish in the big pond, they felt very anxious and scared and started self-medicating. So now when this leader was able to say, hey, I'm going to start coaching you. We're going to start getting you some coaching, get some support, make sure we have good onboarding, that you feel prepared and or if you want to go back to your old position. Just by having that conversation, tons of the behavior changed. And the person was actually able to start seeing um, a new side of God, which was really fun and unexpected. Because many times in the workplace, people might find out you're Christian, but they don't really care about your religion. They want to know, how do you treat me when I mess up? Not that I'm saying, you know, cavalierly keep bad employees. There's a whole book called um, Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. So there's definitely times to terminate a relationship. But I'm saying the Lord does have opportunity for you to show Christ by coming along and seeing his heart. And that helps us have boundaries. That helps us really step into living according to the kingdom versus just my human understanding. Now, years later, that employee that was underperforming now is excelling and has been promoted several more times and is one of their star performer that's now mentoring down several levels as well. This person has become an asset when they were a liability before. We don't know that if we don't have the internal boundaries to take our thoughts captive, to stop the tyranny of the urgent, because many of us, we have so many things coming at us. We have decision fatigue. And so it just feels good to cross it off the list. But that may actually cause more problems in the future. Working with that attorney, that CPA, um, that consulting firm may not actually be the best decision if you haven't taken the time to say, hey, Lord, what's your heart for this area? And I'm willing to wait until you give me the best person to work with or the best employee for that position or the best blah, blah, blah. And normally he'll delay a little bit because it's building our trust muscles. He's fortifying and strengthening us to not just be good human doings, but to walk in sonship, constant relationship, knowing who we are and whose we are. And in that clarity, we have internal boundaries and that creates external boundaries. That once I get my internal world clear and articulate and I can say no and yes to my thoughts, it's much easier to do it externally where I have external boundaries that align. It's congruent with what I've decided with the vision of who I am and what I'm called to do. And what practical thing I might say is the research is really clear that you need a check-in. So most of us like things to just go on autopilot because then I can focus on the key items. I want most of my life to just run smoothly. That's why we create systems and processes, and that's great. But if you're in a romantic relationship and or you are a parent, you need a regular check-in that's separate from time of uh, trying to work or trying to have fun or just do day, day to day. So once a week, at least when nobody's tired, hungry, angry, upset, and you're just kind of doing daily business of going, hey, is there anything that's been building up that's just kind of getting under your skin? Is there anything that you'd like to give feedback that I could just do differently or I could improve or I could keep doing that you are liking? I just want to be on the same page with you. This isn't a date. It's not time to flirt or try to have good, happy feelings. It's more just a regular check-in to say, how are you and how am I? Let's clear the air. I also recommend doing that with your key team, that you have regular time where they have access to you to say, hey, actually, the demands are coming too fast without a lot of guidance and support. Or I'm getting um, too many mixed messages and the org chart isn't really being followed. So I don't really know who to follow right now, right? Something that lets the person know they have permission to speak into your life. That's a big rock. Those key people need to have access to you. Email, you know, all the other ways that people try to get to you. You need good gatekeepers to protect. I would say even with social media, I have a gal that does my social media for me. Because there's too many ways people try to get at us. And those take five minutes here, five minutes here adds up. 
So you look at what's my time margin, what's my energy margin, and then now I put my big rocks that you plan ahead. You look at your calendar with your family, with your team, and you go, okay, what are the big rocks to boundary and protect? We have this time Tuesday at two o'clock, no matter what. And then I plan in time to do the superfluous little, you know, other things. But those are the little rocks that they cannot crowd into the time that you really need to say, this is the priority here. And then you put it on the calendar, you block and protect it. And now you're held accountable to keep that time and keep that priority. When you've gone through these four steps or exercises, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, it is definitely something you have to commit to and it's something that you've got to just put, you know, go both feet in. So you might get to the end of it and go, Oh, okay. You know, I I did it. I've got my boundaries. I'm good. But, (laughs) and I hate to put a butt on the end of that, but (laughs) you know, are those boundaries actually permanent Mm -hmm. or should we be open to perhaps having to alter them throughout our lives? Oh, a thousand percent. Yes. Yeah. I hope that was clear that we want to create boundaries and structure, but not self-reliance, right? Like if I make a boundary and I say, I'm going to keep this hell or high water, whatever that expression is, then I'm still kind of relying on me. But if instead I'm like, Hey, this is my boundary, but God, you get to interrupt You know, Jesus is on the way to go heal somebody. And then this father says, hey, would you heal my child? Jesus turns aside. He could have said, no, I have a boundary. This is my time. This is what I'm doing. This is my agenda. But through a a fluid relationship with the Lord, I'm sure there's thousands of people calling on Jesus all the time that he did not turn aside. But in this one, he turned aside and he followed and he ministered to this man's child. So absolutely, we want to be proactive. We want to find out what are our big rocks, but then also being able to step back and say, hey, Lord, if you want to interrupt my time, I give you my agenda. I give you my time blocking. It's wisdom. And when I do that, I'm going to keep it unless you interrupt. You know, for instance, many um, executives have a hard time pausing and taking their spouse's phone call or responding to a text or responding to their child. And let me just clarify, you looking at your child and saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, I hear you, Johnny. Okay, great. Oh, I'm glad your ballet went well. Great. People can feel if you're fully present or not. Your family and your team can tell if you're slowing down, being fully present with them. And me, as much as anybody else, I have 12 things to do. And I have a teammate that comes in my office. My brain still wants to be thinking about that because that was my time block. That was my boundary. And then I feel the Lord say, hey, spend time with this person. Invest in this moment. It's an interruption, but it's a kingdom interruption. By doing that, just happened recently. Uh, the teammates started sharing stuff. And before I know it, I'm sharing stuff. And we have this incredible bonding moment. And, and I just love my team so much that we can have these moments of like, oh, thank you for coming in my office. There was so much that we needed to talk about and it protected our connection as a team. So yes, I would say have the boundaries, internal, external, set it, right? Have a plan and Hold your life open-handed that it is no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives in me. That now I give permission for God to interrupt and say, hey, there is a two-year-old that really just needs you to pick them up. And yes, that Zoom is important, but you can say, give me five minutes. I need to be with this child. I need to hug. I need to give eye contact. And then turn off the inner chatter so the people in front of you get the best version. They can tell intuitively if you're really present with them or if you're still running the multitasking in your brain. Now, setting boundaries, you know, inherently it's going to be something that's a super solo journey, I guess we'll say. But is there ever a chance or a reason to invite somebody else into your boundary setting journey? And then on the other side of that, 
how should we, if someone approaches us and says, Hey, can you help me? You know, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out my boundaries, figure out what I need to do. How should we approach that opportunity? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I love in Ecclesiastes where it says it's better that two walk together. If one fall, the other one can pick us back up. So I love the sense of doing life in community. And I think there's times where God is working on something different. I come from a background of a lot of like codependence and people pleasing. I really wanted to know and get everybody's approval and acceptance on every decision, every boundary, everything I was doing. Right. And so the Lord said, yes, it's true. There's safety in a multitude of counselors, but there's also safety in seeking first my kingdom, my righteousness, and then trusting me to add everything. There's times where God might toggle between really going to your community and letting people speak into that. And then if you come from a background of a little bit more codependence, he might invite you to say, hey, come to me first. It's great to have people as accountability. It's great to have that as a resource and a support, but come to me first. And so when we learn to go to the Lord first, now my soul is submitted under my spirit. And there's a free resource um, on my website, drshannoncrawford.com. And we have templates and all kinds of free giveaways to help you just kind of process how to do an internal board meeting. But there's also moments where we get stuck and I have a blind spot and I go to someone else, whether it's my own therapy, my own coaching, friends for accountability, colleagues, peer supervision, then it's really also great to let people speak into your life. And that's where I think it's like this healthy balance of going to community and seeking the Lord first. And he'll kind of like, I mean, I've seen people on the side that they only go to God and they don't let people speak into their life. And that's not balanced, right? That's not healthy. We want this go to the Lord first and allow the community, allow the body to minister, to be available, to give accountability. So now I can go over here and say, hey, Jane, I've noticed this area of my life, you know, let's say it's eating or watching too much TV or social media or overworking and not setting enough boundaries to be still and quiet or have fun. You know, there's so many people that we think of all the, I need to be spiritual. I need to work. I need to be accountable. I need to cook deal meals. I need to be, you know, doing chores, but it's like, you also literally need to margin in play. And there's tons of research about the importance of the chemicals that you get and endorphins and wonderful when you create something. So it's not just making sure you're doing the right things. It's also adding in vibrancy in play. So that's just a, a little aside that I wanted to add. And so when you know this, now you can start strategically thinking clearly, organizing your thoughts and going, okay, I'm going to let this person speak into my life. But be careful. If they try to become your Holy Spirit, that's not a good sign. That means kind of like a codependency thing. But if you can go to them and they ask you hard questions like, huh, I'm hearing it's hard for you to not talk back to your spouse in an ugly tone. Have you taken it to the Lord and asked him what in your heart is feeling defensive, unsafe, um, unprotected, that you're needing to protect yourself? So when I have people give me accountability, I'm not necessarily asking them to be the police in my life. Because many times on the human level, I just need you to listen and care and normalize and just get it. And then I'm like, okay, Lord, like, let's get back up. What, it, what in me needs to grow through this? So I love having people as accountability. But if we don't do the hard work, what I've seen is unconsciously we rebel. We just hide and we don't tell people. You know, there's a lot of people uh, in leadership positions that porn is quite a struggle, male and female. And so we have a society that's like, okay, have this person as your accountability, do this, do this. And what I've seen is people just get more creative and they just stop telling and they kind of isolate and pull away from community or they just create a false self and tell everybody it's fine. No, I'm not drinking that much. No, I'm not looking at porn. No, I'm not talking to that intern in a way I shouldn't be or talking to anybody on Facebook Messenger and Instagram Messenger. You know, no, that's not happening. We just kind of hide it and protect it. That's because there's a heart issue below it. So I like accountability as long as it's really going after the heart and not just behavior modification. I work with lots of people that they're at the end of the rope. 
They've done all the accountability. They've done all the retreats and the conferences and they've read the books and they've done all the coaching that they can. And it's like, but it's not changing this issue in my life, this stubbornness, this pride, this rebellion, you know, um, over drinking, overeating, sex affairs and whatever. I, it's just not getting better. And so my heart is, yes, that behavior modification, we, we want that to change. But if that's the first thing we're going after, that's cutting fruit off of a tree. It's not really going to the root issues of why that keeps coming up. And that's where accountability to ask questions about your heart. Hey, when you go into the office and you feel like an imposter and you have a really hard time saying no because you want everyone to like you and you want to not be passed up for the next promotion, what part of you is craving something deeper? What are you? What is your heart really looking for in that? I'm not looking for the behavior change first. I'm looking for the heart change. And then out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of heart change, now the symptoms tend to go differently, right? Because if you change the root structure of a tree, the fruit looks different now. And that's what we're after. God is not just after behavior modification. I have a lot of clients that freak out. They're like, oh, I've got to change this. I've got to change this. I'm like, well, you've been striving. You've been in accountability. You've been in these groups, you know, like, like AA and all that. All those are good, and I recommend them. But if we don't ever get to the heart issue, then it's not really going to change. I mean, you already can see that. And so once we get to the unconscious parts of self, and that's the internal board meeting, restoring self there's resources on my website we can't we don't have enough time to go into but you can really get to those heart levels and resolve it that the fruit isn't there because you change the root and that's the kind of accountability i think is most beneficial as we wrap up uh what is one thought or maybe a piece of advice that you want our listeners to remember most from everything that we've talked about this month I think the most important thing is agreeing with God with what he says about you. Like over and above saying where David said, you know, his spirit in essence is ministering to his soul. Where he said, soul, you will encourage me. You will praise the Lord. Like you can see his inner relationship with himself. So the healthy part of him knows that there's a soul part of him that's not wanting to. And I always read that like, soul, you will praise the Lord. And I was like, what if we don't know the tone that David had with himself, right? In his own inner relationship, we have the internal dictator, we have the inner critic constantly critiquing everything we do. And what would life be like? You're a leader, you're brilliant, you're beautiful, God loves you, you have great things in your life. But how many times is your joy stolen because that inner critic constantly monitoring you, it's never enough. You're always critiquing how you just handled that conversation, how you handled that decision, that interaction with your kids. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. That's called your observing ego. And your observing ego is trying to protect you from something. But if we can say, hey, Lord, whatever that unconscious need is that my soul is longing for, would you come satisfy that? Would you help affirm that I really am smart and brilliant. My mistakes are safe because I'm going to make them. If my name is not Jesus, I am going to make mistakes. And so in that, you can start to delight in yourself. I grew up with so much inner critic, you know, part of perfectionism. You're just noticing everything that's not perfect. And you know what? I made really bad choices. I was addicted to really bad things and I needed the approval of people because I was not giving approval to myself. And by not giving approval to myself, I was not enabling the presence of God to give approval. So many times we try to change our people pleasing and we try to assert confidence and all that stuff, but it really has to start with saying, I bless you and then say your name. I bless you to know that you are loved. Soul, you will bless the Lord because you're favored, you're worthy, you're good enough with your messes. I adore you imperfection and shame and all the messiness. You are enough. I love you. I adore you. When you do that for yourself, it opens your capacity to receive it from the Lord. 
And when you receive it from the Lord, there's such a fullness that people don't mean that much in a good way, right? We want God to be our meat and potatoes. He is our sufficiency. And then people are our ice cream. They're our dessert. We love people. They're great, but we don't need ice cream every day. I don't need the approval of other people every day. It's great, but I don't need that to survive. We, God's transitioning us from codependence, needing the world to affirm us, to really live and abide. He affirms us. And you do that by partnering with the process. By every day, when God said something nice to Israel, I would highlight it in pink and then apply it to Shannon because I'm grafted in. Right, wrong, or whatever theologically, I have no idea. But psychologically, I went from super crazy perfectionist shame condemnation to this really enjoying myself. I really like who I am. I now see my mistakes because I'm still human. But now I'm like, oh, you're so cool, Gucci. And I go, oh, that's so funny. It just doesn't take me out like it used to. I used to be so embarrassed. Don't worry, God, I won't do that again. Oh, no, oh, no. And now I'm like, oh, gosh, Lord, I bring this to you. You know, here's my pride. Here's my fear of man. Here's my insecurities. Here's my desire to control the world again. Here it is. I love you. You love me. And that started by every day just like, I love you. You're worthy. You're good. So I would challenge you as you're listening to partner with the inner world, with the process of deciding what God said that's good about Israel. You now personalize and take in for yourself. There's also a great book by Arthur Burke and Sylvia Somebody, and uh, it's called Blessing Your Spirit. You can get it on Amazon. I don't benefit in any way by telling you this, but you just every day learn how to bless your spirit, how to speak life and identity so that we're so full that if people like us, great. If they don't, it's okay. You know, it might hurt my feelings a little, but it doesn't take me out and devastate me like it used to, you know, where I would ruminate and try to figure out how to fix it and regret and, you know, control the situation. It just doesn't weigh as much. So it helps me move on, learn from it, grow from it, but then keep going. But we can't do that if we're not affirming ourselves, celebrating ourselves, and then allowing God through that to celebrate us so that we live in fullness all the time. What was your biggest takeaway from Dr. Crawford's insights over the last two episodes? Let us know by leaving a review on your preferred listening platform or leave a comment when we share this episode on Forward Social Media. For more information about today's episode, just go to forwardwomen.org slash podcast. That's the number four, W-O-R-D-W-O-M-E-N dot org slash podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Work, Love, Pray on your preferred listening platform and leave a review. Your review will help more people discover Work, Love, Pray, so your feedback is greatly appreciated. As you move forward on your journey to work, love, and pray well, don't forget to make time for real talk grounded in truth.